Hi, I'm Walter Lane, and you've tuned in to a sermon podcast from the Netherwood Park Church of Christ in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for listening. very, very weak. Let's try that again. Good morning. morning. Man, you just go from singing a song where everybody sounds so happy, and then I say good morning, and it's like, so come on. It's good to be here this morning. It's good that we can be here with so many visitors this morning. It's great to have you guys with us as well. Balloon Fiesta is kind of a mixed bag in some ways. We have some of our regular people who aren't here, but we have a lot of guests who are, and we are very happy about that. I want to give a Bible reading challenge update. I haven't done this in a little while. Uh, we have a Bible reading challenge here. We encourage everybody to be reading uh, daily in their Bibles and then reporting those results so we can encourage each other to keep doing that. And so far this year, to date, as a congregation, we have reported reading 1,841 books of the Bible. So good job. Keep doing that. I expect that to ramp up here in the next 90 days because last week, If you weren't here, what we did is we kicked off our annual Sprint to the Finish. It's a time when we encourage everybody in the last three months of the year to commit to reading through the New Testament. And we have a Bible reading plan that goes along with that. We encourage everybody to do that. Um, If you didn't get a Bible reading plan, you can find a copy of it back at the welcome booth. So help yourself to that. You can also find a copy of it online at our website. We'd encourage you to do that. If you haven't yet started, it's not too late. Uh, You may not want to try to catch up uh, since you're a week behind, but I would encourage you just to jump in tomorrow. uh, We are right at the end of Luke starting tomorrow, so you'd be reading about um, the uh, Last Supper. You'd be reading about the last days of Jesus, the trials, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and that would lead you right in to Acts with the establishment of the church. So uh, if you don't have a copy, please get a copy and join us as we read through the New Testament over the next 90 days. The reason that we have these challenges is because we are a church that believes in the power of God's word. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-reading, Bible-studying church. That's who we are. That's who we want to be known as. So please... Join us as we read through our Bibles. We're also a church that believes in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer is powerful and effective. We are a praying church, and we'd like to pray for you. If you have a need in your life or there's a need in the life of someone that you know and love, we would love to know about that so that we can lift them up in prayer. If you'd just take out the green card that you'll find in front of you, 
If you would write down your prayer request and then simply drop it in one of our collection boxes, you can rest assured that we will honor your prayer request. You can find two of those collection boxes at the very back of the auditorium, and there's a third one through these double doors as you go out just to your right. If you look over there, you'll find it. So prayer is powerful and effective, and let us pray for you. You also need to know that we are a church that believes in the power of baptism. We believe that when we are baptized, when we join with Jesus Christ in his death and his burial and resurrection, when we are lowered into the water and then raised back out of the water, that that's when we join with Jesus Christ. We join with him. We're clothed with Jesus Christ. We're lifted up to walk in a new light as a new creature, a new life. Our sins are washed away. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we are a baptizing church. So if you are here and you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you haven't been baptized, we really should have a conversation about that. To have that conversation, all you need to do is take that same green card, turn it over, fill out your contact information, and check the box that says, I'd like to talk to an elder or a minister about baptism, and you can rest assured that we'll contact you right away and we'll start that conversation. We believe in the power of baptism. You also need to know that we believe in the power of the church. We believe that the church was given to us by God because we're able to do things together that we can never do when we're separated, when we're alone. We believe in the power of the church universal and the power of the church local. So if you've been attending this congregation for a while and you haven't yet let us know that you'd like to be identified as a part of this church, as a member of this church, we should have that conversation as well. You can use the same card again, fill out your contact information, write, check on the box that you'd like to talk to an elder or minister about being a member of this church, drop it in one of those collection boxes, and we'll contact you right away, and we'll start that conversation. We believe in the power of God's church. Well, this morning we're going to have another uncomfortable sermon, so I hope you're ready. For several weeks now, we've been working through a series of sermons to help us refocus, to take another hard look at our theme for the year, out of the boat, living uncomfortably. And in this series, we've been encouraging each other to take a hard look at our lives, a hard look to examine whether our Christianity has become too comfortable, too easy, too cheap. We're asking ourselves if maybe we haven't become so comfortable and content in our worldly boats that we're missing Jesus' call to join him in his work out on the oftentimes very scary water. So what we've been doing is each week we've been holding up a different warning sign. These are warning signs that signal that maybe we've entered a danger zone, a danger zone of comfort. And today's warning sign is warning sign number six. And this warning sign reads like this. Your Christianity has become too comfortable if there's no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics. Your Christianity has become too comfortable if there's no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics. Now, I wouldn't blame you a bit after the last couple of weeks we've had in, the, in our uh, country. You'd be sitting there thinking, it's like the last thing I want to hear is more about politics. And I sympathize with that. 
But I want you to know right up front, this is not a political sermon. No, this is going to be an identity sermon. And what we're going to do is we're going to use partisan politics to help us talk about what our identities are and what our identities should be. So that's why my goal this morning isn't to persuade you to do anything politically. Instead, my goal is for each of us to stop, to turn off the noise, including and maybe especially the political noise, and honestly examine our true identities. And to do that, to help us have that discussion, I need to provide some definitions right up front. Some definitions to help us make sure that we're all talking about the same things. So the first thing I need to do is define partisan, if you don't know what a partisan is. If you are a partisan, you exhibit strong, to the point of unquestioning or blind adherence. Blind adherence to a particular party, a particular faction, a particular cause, or even a particular person. So for a trivial and a very trivial example, if you are a partisan Dallas Cowboy fan, you believe that your team can do no wrong. Yeah, amen. (laughs) It's like I preach week after week, I bring up the Cowboys and I get one amen. It's like, (laughs) you believe if the Cowboys do it, it must be right. And if their opponents do it, it must be wrong. You are a partisan. In U.S. politics... Partisanship looks like this, and we have seen some real examples of partisanship over the last few weeks. If your party or its leaders, whether they're Democrat or Republican or any other party, if your party or its leaders does it or says it or believes it, it must be right. And if any other party or its leaders does it or says it or believes it, it must be wrong. You are a partisan. Well, another definition, this is a definition of friction of all things. Let me say up front, I understand this is a very narrow, very simple, very simplistic, and maybe not even completely correct definition of friction, but it's going to help us for our purposes this morning. For our purposes, we're going to define friction as the resistance that's encountered when the surface of objects move over or against each other. Let me repeat that. The resistance encountered when the surfaces of objects move over or against each other. So if I rub the surfaces of my two hands together, I can feel resistance, right? I can feel friction, And one of the things that determines the amount of resistance and the amount of friction is the properties of those two surfaces. So I have two soft preacher's hands. And so when I rub them together, it doesn't create a lot of friction. But if I substituted a wire brush for one of the hands and rubbed them together, what would I get? Well, I get a very different story, right? Lots of friction, So when I say that it's a warning sign, if there's no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics, I'm saying that when your politics and your Christianity come together, when they come in contact with each other, if that contact is as comfortable and as smooth as rubbing two soft preacher's hands together, 
then you have entered a danger zone. Things have become too comfortable. A couple of other things to quickly help us in our discussion. See, there are many different ways that you can reduce friction between two surfaces. And we want to focus on just two of those ways this morning. And one of the ways that you can reduce friction is by altering one or both of the objects so that their surfaces conform to each other. For example, if you have two pieces of metal and they're grinding together, that causes lots of friction. But if you cut conforming gears into the surfaces of each of those pieces of metal, you'll greatly reduce the friction because they fit together perfectly. So one way to reduce friction is to conform. The second way that we're going to talk about that we we can reduce friction is by altering one or both of the surfaces by smoothing them down, by smoothing down the rough edges. I mean, there's a reason why when you go to the bowling alley, you don't bowl with a cinder block, right? You bowl with a bowling ball. You bowl with an object that is smooth, that is rounded. It greatly reduces the friction. So the second way that we can reduce friction is to smooth down the rough edges so there's very little resistance. So with that background in mind, let's move on and talk about uncomfortable identity. I'm going to start with what sounds like a simple question, but really isn't simple at all. I want to ask you, who are you? Who are you? If you want to reveal your identity to someone else, what words would you use to describe yourself? Who are you? Let me give you a a minute. Who are you? What words would you use? Well, since it's Sunday morning and we're gathered here in church and worship service, I'm going to assume that one of the words that most of us would use to describe ourselves is Christian. I am a Christian. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it means to identify yourself as a Christian. What does it mean to have a Christian identity? And the first thing that we want to look at is ownership. Ownership. Because part of what identifies us is who we belong to. And Jesus tells his followers that we do not belong to the world. John 15, verse 19. Jesus says, if you, if you, my followers, belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why we wear the name Christian, right? It identifies who we belong to. We belong to the one who chose us out of the world. We belong to Christ. That's who we are. That's our identity. And since we've been chosen out of the world, and since we do belong to Jesus, we're also identified by our affections. We no longer love the world or anything in it. That's because Jesus owns our hearts. Jesus possesses our love. We love Jesus and Jesus loves us. That's who we are. That's 
our identity. And lest anyone feel sorry for us because the world no longer loves us. Lest someone feel sorry for us because we no longer belong to the world. We should also remind ourselves of our genealogy. Of our family of origin, if you will. Because we are also identified by that genealogy. We're identified by our family name. We are children of God. We are one in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. That's our identity. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be a part of God's family? Well, I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, 1 Peter chapter 2. And as I read this, I want you to listen very carefully for words and phrases that Peter uses to describe the children of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll start reading with verse 9. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So, as Christians, what is our identity? Well, according to Peter, if we are Christians, this is who we are. We are chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. And because we belong to God, we don't belong to the world. In fact, we're aliens and strangers in this world. That's who we are. That's our identity. And that's a a strong identity, isn't it? It's a very specific identity. We're chosen. We're set apart as priests within a holy nation. And that nation belongs to God. And that marks us, that identifies us as strangers, as aliens in this world. And our identity as Christians, our identity in Christ is so strong that it can't be modified by anything else. No, on the contrary. Our strong identity in Christ should overwhelm everything else that once identified us. Go ahead and turn to the third chapter of Colossians. We'll be spending a little bit of time there. We'll look at a larger portion of Colossians chapter 3 here in a minute. But right now, I want to focus on just one verse. That's verse 11. Colossians 3.11. And in this portion of his letter, Paul's talking about our identity as Christians. And he writes this. He says, here, in Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. Do you see what Paul's saying there? 
He's saying that all of those things that we used to call on as our identifiers, all those dimensions that we used to use to establish our identity, all of those identifiers have been overwhelmed. They've been pushed aside. They've been pushed aside by our new identity in Jesus Christ, our new identity as Christians. See, our identity as Christians, our identity in Christ, it isn't modified by anything else. Instead, our identity in Christ overwhelms everything else. It's that strong. It's that central to who we are. So African Christians and American Christians have the same identity. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, belonging to God, strangers and aliens in the world, regardless of where in the world they are. And the same is true of brown Christians and black Christians and white Christians. Same identity. Same is true of female Christians and male Christians. Same identity. Same is true of Democrat Christians and Republican Christians. Same identity. Our identity in Christ overwhelms all of those dimensions that are usually used to identify us. And unfortunately are so often used to divide us. You see, you are and I am. We are Christians. That's who we are. That's our identity. Chosen, royal, holy, belonging to God. And that makes us strangers and aliens in this world. That's who we are. Or at least that's who we should be. And you see, that's what makes comfort so dangerous. If we're always seeking comfort by adapting to this world, if we seek comfort by conforming to this world, what happens is we lose our true identity, our true identity as Christians. Or if we seek comfort by just blending into this world, if we go along to get along, if we smooth off our Christian edges so we fit in and look just like the world, so we can reduce all the friction, so we can be comfortable in this world. If we do that, we lose our identity, our true identity, our Christian identity. And that takes us back to our discussion of friction See, we can think about living as a Christian. We can think about living with a Christian identity in this world as a tale of two contrasting surfaces. Two surfaces that are necessarily in contact with each other. There's the worldly surface. And then there's the Christian surface, or I'll call it the otherworldly surface. And we know those two surfaces are unavoidably in contact with each other. They move against each other because we live in this world, right? But those two surfaces, those two worlds are nothing like each other. I want you to listen to Paul as he describes those two surfaces. I'll be reading out of Colossians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 5, and I'll be kind of alternating back and forth between the two. Colossians 3 and Galatians 5. 
First, I want you to listen to Paul's description of that worldly surface. Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your worldly surface. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived in your old identity. But now, because you have a new identity, you must rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Just to add to that, out of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, The acts of the sinful nature, the identifiers of a worldly surface, those things are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So that's one surface. That's the worldly surface. That's one identity. It's the world's identity. Listen to that list again. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lies, impurity, hatred, discord, jealousy, selfish ambition, Dissension, factions. Maybe it's just me, but that sounds like a pretty accurate description of our nation's political identity right now, doesn't it? That's one surface. That's the worldly surface. Now, listen to Paul describe the other surface, the other worldly surface, the Christian identity. First from Colossians. Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. And then from Galatians, Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the other surface. That's the otherworldly surface. Listen to that list again and tell me what it sounds like. Maybe more importantly, tell me, Who it sounds like. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Love. Joy. Peace. Goodness. Faithfulness. Self-control. I don't know about you, but to me that sounds like a description of Jesus, doesn't it? It sounds like the one whose name we wear. It sounds like Christ. And we are Christians. 
Which means it sounds like that's what our identity should be. Those are what our identifiers should be. That's how we should be able to be recognized. So we have two surfaces. And they necessarily come in contact with each other. And one surface is identified by its anger and its lies, its hatred and its discord, its selfishness, its dissensions and factions. And we have another surface that it's identified by its compassion, its kindness, its humility, its gentleness, its patience, its love, peace, and self-control. And when you put those two contrasting surfaces together, when they come in contact with each other, what's going to happen? Let me ask it as a question. When those two contrasting surfaces rub together, how can there not be friction? Another question, maybe a more uncomfortable question. If those two surfaces rub together and there isn't any friction, if there's only comfort, if it's only smooth, might it be because that otherworldly surface has conformed to the world's surface? Or might it be that that otherworldly surface has had its rough, its distinctive edges just smoothed over. It might be because that otherworldly surface has lost its true identity. See, living in this world and choosing Christ as your, identif- as your identity, choosing those things as your identifiers, that's going to cause friction. It's going to be uncomfortable. Being transformed into the image of Christ, having an otherworldly service makes it impossible. Makes it impossible to conform, to fit in with, to mesh with any worldly surface, including partisan politics. That isn't a comfortable fit, that isn't a natural fit. There must be friction. We need to understand from a worldly perspective, from the world looking at us. If we're being transformed into the image of Christ, that's going to bring about more rough edges on us than smooth edges. And that's because the world seeks. In fact, the world even demands conformity. See, the world doesn't like friction any more than we do. And when you have people with transformed identities living among you, when you have those otherworldly identifiers rubbing up against the surfaces of the world, that's uncomfortable for the world. It's uncomfortable for the world because if you choose to stand in contrast to the world, if you, if you choose to be kind... Instead of angry, humble instead of selfish, loving instead of hating, peaceful instead of factious, gentle instead of raging. If you choose to stand in contrast to the world, the world's going to see you as standing in critique of the world. And just ask Jesus... 
Just ask Jesus what happens to people who stand in contrast to the world, who are perceived as being standing in critique of the world. See, that stance brings friction. It brings a desire to force you to conform to the worldly image or at least push you to camouflage your true identity as a Christian to hide or smooth over your distinctiveness. And if we as Christians, if we choose to do that, if we choose to conform, to mesh, to fit in, or if we choose to smooth off and hide the things that make us like Christ, our lives will be more comfortable in this world. We'll have less friction in this world. But I want to assure you, that is not the way to escape friction. In fact, I think we need to understand that we have to choose our friction. So we can choose our identity in Christ. And when we choose that identity, we know that we're going to experience friction with this world. We're going to experience friction with this world's institutions. But we can also know, because we've been promised, that if we choose that identity, we'll have eternal comfort. Eternal comfort with Jesus Christ. The alternative is to choose our identity in this world. And if we choose that identity, we know that we'll be more comfortable in this world. But we also have to know, because we have been promised that that identity is going to put us at friction with our God. At friction with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to put us in eternal friction. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in friction with the world than in friction with my God. So let's choose our friction wisely. Let's choose our identity wisely. Let's choose Christ. And let us no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds into our true identity as Christians. Let's pray. Father, you have placed us in this world, but you have told us not to be of this world. And Father, we confess that that is extremely difficult and extremely uncomfortable for us. Because, Father, we like to fit in. Father, we like to have a comfortable, a frictionless frictionless life. But, Father, help us to put you first. Father, help us to have a desire to, to be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to choose to have friction with the world, Father, so that we can have peace with you and so that we can spend eternity with you in the place where there will be no friction. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So I want to give you uncomfortable challenge number 39, and this is an identity challenge, and I know for some of us, this is truly going to be an uncomfortable challenge. I challenge you to this week... Substitute any time that you would normally spend watching cable news stations. Any time that you would normally be reading political opinion pieces or listening to political podcasts or radio shows. 
Any time that you would spend reading or posting or reposting or commenting on any political messages on things like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I want to challenge you to replace that time with time spent reading your Bible. Time spent with God. Let's take time to be holy. Let's stand. Let's sing.